Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice, episode 30. I hope that you all have been enjoying the merch uh, announcements and photos as much as I have been enjoying sharing them with all of you. Oh, I could not be more excited. I will also tell you, however, that figuring out this merch stuff, you know, who to buy it from, how much to order, how to package it to ship, how to calculate shipping and handling has been frankly, just absolutely terrifying for me. So, you know, in case you're ever wondering if I'm like practicing what I preach with this like creative exploration, staying out of your comfort zone kind of stuff, I freaking am because out of my comfort zone is where I have been just fully living for like, honestly, most of the last year, but like really the last two weeks have been like you know, intensely out of my comfort zone. So I hope you're proud of me. And mostly, I hope you like the merch. If you haven't seen it yet, you guys go check it out. I got tote bags. I got the cutest little stickers, the latte mug. Oh my gosh, I love it. Gift wrap paper in holiday colors. Also, I took all those photos by myself, which also extremely out of my comfort zone. I guess Andrew took the ones that have me in them. Anyway, 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 merch very exciting. Go check it out. Um, now, let me tell you about our guest today, which is Adam Day, the luthier. So uh, I'm going to read a little bit from his bio for you. Adam has been making violins since age 14, due in part to the recommendation of his first violin teacher, Kelly Richardson. His violins have been played on and praised by Joshua Bell, Joseph Silverstein, I think it's Silver, It's Silverstein when the I is second, right? You pronounce the second letter. And Igor Grubman, as well as many young, talented soloists throughout Utah. Born in Murray, Utah, Adam grew up in a musical environment, beginning the violin at age three. When he began studying to be a luthier with Paul Hart, violin making came naturally to Adam because of his highly developed ear and playing ability. He knows very well the qualities that string players look for in an instrument and how to produce them. By nature, Adam is very detail-oriented. His wife lovingly refers to him as the millimeter man. Good one, Kate. In harmony with this trait, Adam has always excelled in art. Countless hours spent developing this talent, talent greatly enhanced his violin-making skills. Adam concluded four years of training with, Paul's, with Paul at the Tree's Breath Violin-Making School and started his own shop, which has become a thriving business serving string players and educators worldwide since the year 2000. Adam is married to Kate Day, and they are the proud parents of four adorable children. All right, you guys, here comes Adam. Sometimes art feels like magic, pure, visionary. And sometimes it's brought to you in part by focus groups and algorithms. And the makers of art are no different. We're creatives, sure, but we're also salespeople. We need imagination and imitation. We need deep, meaningful connections, but we also have to network. Yep, even if you're an introvert. And that's my point. Balancing vulnerability with veneer is tricky, and it's a struggle we don't often share. So let's share. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by, well, no one. Because today I'm using this segment to share the news that Artifice Podcast has merch. Our very own Artifice print is currently available in the form of gift wrapping paper in black and white, as well as holiday edition colors, 17 ounce tall latte mugs. P.S. Those are my favorite. They are so pretty. 
sticker sheets, and tote bags. If you haven't seen it yet, the print is 15 art objects to represent all of the art mediums we love, and I genuinely could not be more excited about it. Head to emvocals.com slash store to check it out and stay tuned for some sales and deals coming soon. talk with people about just like how they got to where they are and usually I find that like the the most productive thing is just to start from the beginning so um I like to start with like um what were you like as a child and what kind of creative stuff were you doing like if and it can not be music too it doesn't have to be like direct but like what what were you doing creatively as a kid so um I uh, I started the violin when I was three are your your family are musicians? And we're all musicians. Okay. My, yeah, my grandparents started a music st- a store in 1946. Okay. Called Damery Music. Yeah, here in, in and so I grew up with music all um, you know, surrounding me, so it was a big part of life. All five kids, you know, my my parents started all of us at age th- 3 or 4. Yeah. Um as far as other creativity, you know, I I love drawing. I've always drawn. Um Late into the evening, I used to like to draw mazes, little, you know, fine detail stuff I, I enjoy. Yeah, that like Noah's Ark piece you did is so cool. Oh, thank I'd you. I'd love to like include that in my, when I post this episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun to do. So, um, and, uh, you know, I, I used to just uh, mess around with wood nails. And in fact, I used to bend pencils, I remember, with boiling water. I did that a, a lot growing up with how did my you friends. Get that idea? <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember how that came about, but it's funny because I was just thinking about that a few days ago. I was thinking about how I was I was uh, bending a bow, a violin bow. It needed to be um, the camber needed to be fixed. That's how. That's how. Um, you know, on a bow, if you look at a violin bow, it, it looks like a smiley face, right? Yeah. We call that a, a, a camber. And so it needed to be recambered, and I was heating up the wood, you know, and I was thinking, oh, that's funny. You know, years and years ago, I used to mess around bending pencils. It yeah. kind of prepped me for bending bows. <laughs> so does anyone else in your family make instruments? Uh, no. Actually, I'm the only violin maker. Okay, um, we'll get into, like, how you got into that. I just i am curious yeah. off the bat. So, you know, I think, like, one thing that I that I think about a lot and I'm sort of curious about is, like, you know, what's the difference between like, like at what point do we start kind of like taking ownership over the, the creative stuff we're doing? So I think a lot of kids are in lessons, but it's just like a thing. It's just like a thing they're doing. Um, and if you have like a musical family, I can see it going either way, like feeling earlier, like this is something that is, that I'm really kind of like the master of in my individual life. Like I'm an artist in this way. And I can also see it feeling like, very kind of normal. So how, how did it feel to you? Like, how were you thinking about those things as a kid? Um, <clears throat> so as far as violin making specifically? No, no, or? like just music and just... Music your, in general? Yeah. Well, you, you know, you're right. I mean, growing up, it was a thing that we did. Um, we all woke up early and, um, you know, studied at like five or six in the morning. And it was just one of those things that we did. And I went through a period of, of many years not liking it. I think when I was about 16 or so, I, I realized that it was enjoyable. Yeah. But, it, but, you know, you don't really enjoy something until you're pretty good at it, I think is how yeah. it is. At least it was for me. 
Um, but yeah, as soon as I got to more, you know, more advanced as a violinist, I started to, I guess, see the benefit of learning yeah. that musical instrument. Yeah, I think that's what I'm getting at. Like, I think kids who don't have music, like kind of in their homes for, for young people like that or, or any kind of art, um, I think it can be like really satisfying, even if you're not good at it, because it's just like so novel. Yeah. Um, and it's like, but that's why I'm kind of curious, well, like how I it's different right. if it's kind of. I think I was in and out. I mean, I, you know, because I started at such a young age, I remember enjoying it uh, for many years between like, I don't know, four or five to maybe 10. As soon as I hit my teenage years, it kind of waned a bit. It was, yeah. it was harder, I think maybe because I was too busy. Um, I just didn't want to like make the time. Just like with school and stuff or. Yeah, with school and such. Um, yeah, I'd love to like, just talk a little bit more about like what you remember about like your, like what was going on in your mindset. Cause one of the things I'm really interested in is like, I think we're all creative. I think everybody's creative. And I mean, as a teacher, I, I, I'm puzzled by like, what is it about an individual that like keeps them doing art, you know, or like makes them kind of drop off what is it about a student that kind of like gives them that spark where like they want to keep learning, even if they're not that good at it at the beginning, um, you know, or the kind of student who like maybe has a bit of a natural affinity, but then like, uh, you know, as they come up against challenges, then they're like, oh, this isn't easy and fun for me anymore. Um, so I just, I like to ask people who've kind of like made it through and now, you know, you're doing art in your profession, like what was the kind of evolution of like just how you were thinking about it and how it was kind of like uh, making its way into like your identity as a young person. Hmm. So you liked it as a little kid. Yeah. And then like how, how old were you when you felt like, oh, this is something that like my mom's making me do? Yeah, I was probably 12, 13 or so. You know, I think, I think part of it was... Um, I think I saw the violin as a girl instrument. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> and, you know, because you look at the yeah. orchestra and most all of the violinists were, were girls. And so in junior high, I remember this distinctly. When I when I got into the seventh grade, I, I remember looking at the orchestra and, like, everyone was mm. pretty much a girl. And I thought, well, I'm going to do something that a boy would do yes. if, I, if I'm going to do a musical instrument. So I looked at the trumpet. I played okay. the trumpet for three years. Yeah. And then when I got into high school... I, I realized, you know, cause I, all throughout junior high, I still took private lessons. My mom says, you can do the trumpet, but you're yeah. not going to be able to do, you're, you're not going to be able to quit cause you've spent quit too violin, much time, yeah. you know, you're learning invested. this instrument. Yeah. I'm invested. Yeah. So I think that's really what happened for me more than anything is yeah, that, I, I think I just had this mind switch that I thought, you know, that's silly. I mean, there's plenty of professional violinists, you know, out there that are guys Absolutely. and that's just a dumb thought. So I then joined the orchestra in, in, in high school and, and I continued to, pl you know, play private with, you know, took private lessons and all my band buddies were like, what are you doing over there? I mean, yeah. this is like, you're, you're, you're a trumpet player. I'm like, actually, <laughs> I'm a band guy. I'm a, I'm an, I'm, I'm a an violinist. Guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. I, I, well, I think that's so interesting. Like I like that, um, you know, that kind of revelation of that thought, because isn't, I feel like that's what it's, it's stuff like that for everybody. It's like, you know, it's those like weird identity things where you're like, well, I can't be like, what does it mean if I'm like a boy that's in orchestra or like a boy that's playing the violin? Right. And like those thoughts, when we like say them out loud and actually like think about them, it's, 
much easier to be like, okay, that's not, you know, but that's why I like to ask professionals, like, what was that stuff that was like affecting your choices? Because I think we, we lose creatives over stuff like that. Right. All the time. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we lose track of what's really important. And yeah, you're right on. Do you have any other thoughts about that? Like, no, not really. As a parent or? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of thoughts about you know, how, how important it is to, to find a musical medium in which we're, you know, we're all able to communicate. That's a big deal for me. I think that's half of the, I think that's a huge part of life. I mean, if you don't have some way of, you know, expressing yourself, that's a sad thing. So I, I I always encourage everyone to find, you know, find something that they can, they're passionate about, that they can enjoy. But I also would say that, you know, because, because I build violins and we sell a lot of instruments at our shop, I see a lot of um, I see a lot of musicians who will start out and they'll lose hope within the first I would say six to twelve months yeah. is kind of that proving ground. You know, are you going to stick with it or not? Um, and a lot of times I think they quit because you know it's just it's that you know you have to get over that threshold that 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 hump. It's you know it's going to be a lot of work yeah. to be able to feel like you're you know, really making progress and are able to communicate through your music. Yeah. Like, are you losing? It doesn't like, just happen. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think people get into the arts and get out of the arts uh, for like, yeah, that combination of things. Like one of them is like, I like the actual medium. One of the things is like, uh, this feels like it fits in with like my identity or like the identity I'd like to have. Like, yeah. and I, and I, I think that I talk with a lot of artists on this podcast about like genre, which I think like your instrumentation, like obstacle as a young person is, is also like a genre obstacle. Um, and I think it happens in like literature and it happens in visual art, you know, like, what does it mean if like I draw anime versus like, or like, what does it say about me if like I write jazz versus like punk you know? Right. Um, and I, I don't know. I just like, I'm so into just like saying our like weird stuff out loud so that, you know, if anybody's listening or if anybody's just thinking about stuff, you know, they can maybe kind of press a little harder on like, what are those, what are the things that are like motivating me or preventing? So, okay. So you, you stopped, you, you started doing trumpet when you were like 12 and then what was going on with like your other creative stuff, like drawing, like how much time were you spending on um, that? On that, I usually spend maybe an hour to two every day. Um, I typically, you know, waited until after I finished my homework. Um, yeah, typically, like I would say, between ten to midnight most most days. You know, growing up in junior high, especially in high school. How important was that to you? Like, you know, maybe you know, in relation I, to music. So, not no, I don't know about, I don't know of a so much of a direct correlation with music, but there's a huge correlation between violin making and, um, visual you know, art. And the visual art yeah. side of things. Cause uh, you know, that really prepped me for, um, hand-eye coordination. Yeah. Um, especially the mazes that I drew. I drew a lot of mazes and pen designs, like the one you referred to yeah. with that Noah's art. Um, you know, just to, just to be able to draw, you know, fine lines that are parallel to each other and, yeah. um, you know, that are only a millimeter apart type of thing. That kind of really helped, I think, my hand-eye coordination. So I started building violins when I was 14, 
And um, wow. and I remember when I you know when I first got a violin knife you know to carve start carving I remember thinking this isn't so bad yeah you know it's 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 actually you quite comfortable because I think it's probably prepped from yeah. you know, all the artwork that's so interesting like that you were able to find like a perfect kind of marriage yeah of like your visual art like ta- you know tangible um, and and the music world. How did you get into violin making? It seems like... Yeah, it's kind of a strange... Yeah, it seems very, like, obscure. (laughs) It is kind of an obscure profession. How did that happen? I mean, it's obscure uh, in a cool way. It is is, uh, kind of different. But So my violin teacher, uh, Kelly Richardson, um, at the time, he he came to my lesson and said he had a dream. And in his dream, he said, you were a violin maker. Whoa. Yeah. How did you feel about that? it kind of it kind of struck a chord, you know. Yeah. I was like, "Wow, that's, that's interesting." So it, it put the bug in my ear. And he said, "Have you ever, you know, considered anything like that?" And I said, "No, I've never even thought of it." But, um, you know, I had done a lot of artwork up to that point, so um, I thought that would be something that I should look into. So my mom actually called up, you know, called around to see if there was some kind of introductory violin making course, and she found one in California. And so uh, um, wow. I was, I just had turned 14 and I, and we went out there for a week long camp every yeah. day for about eight, nine hours and that's amazing. got started and it, it really uh, took off. I, I, when I got, you know, after that course, I came back uh, to Utah and here, um, you know, and found a, a violin maker. In fact, my dad's, turns out my dad's second cousin once removed, Paul Hart is a violin maker. Cool. And so I asked him if he would teach me and he... He he was so kind and yeah. took me under his wing. Okay, I have questions about this. So your parents are musicians, but like taking your 14-year-old to another state to learn violin making still seems like extra supportive. That's pretty amazing, did, right? Yeah. I yeah, mean, how, how did, like, did that seem novel to you back then? Or like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always impressed when like parents are, are supportive um, and kind of like invest in like, you know, a younger child, yeah. they can see like that future. And I just, what do you, yeah, like, it is, how it's did special. that feel to you? You know, I always felt loved for sure by my parents. They, they, uh, you know, drove me all over the place for violin lessons all growing up. If we didn't travel half an hour, 45 minutes to violin lessons every week, that would be strange to yeah. me. So, and I guess I was used to that. Yeah. Um, I probably... You know, I probably didn't think as much of it as I should have. You know, well, um, I certainly am appreciative, but I, yeah. but I totally get it because that is a, it's, it's an huge. investment. It's yeah. not only money, but time. And well, it's also like a faith. You know, like it, there's so, you. I mean, yeah, faith you, that your child will be able to exactly benefit from. Yeah, you're seeing your child like as a future, you know, adult, right? In kind of a unique way to like, you know, invest in something like that. Um. Were your parents doing stuff like that for all of your siblings? Or do you feel like, I think, you know, I'm not asking yeah. if you're like the favorite, but what I'm asking is like, if your kind of interest was like unique in a way that they were like, well, we got to figure it out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I saw I saw a genuine interest with all the kids. Uh, mine was a little bit maybe more unique in that, you know, in that regard. It's not normal I guess yeah, I to go into violin making get but, an idea of like but if, they all did you know they all a sacrifice for them yeah I I think it I definitely think it was a sacrifice for sure because um, especially after you know after that 
camp, you know, just it's, it, that was only one week. But I think the real investment came in after that, because after school, you know, my parents would take me up to, you know, downtown uh, to go study with Paul Hart, you know, yeah. after after school. So, you know, there was a lot of extra stuff, yeah. you know, that had to happen. And But and, they could tell that that was like important yeah. to you and was going to like affect your whole future. That's, I think that's really significant. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about like what it felt like to be like a 14 year old and have this kind of very particular vision of like what you might be doing in your future. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that also seems like yeah. Very unique. Yeah, it's pretty unique. It's um, like how did you talk about you know, that with your friends? I I don't know. I don't know if I really thought a whole lot about it. It just I, you know, I always liked drawing and carving and all that before before yeah. violin making. So, you know, I would just tell them, "Yeah, I'm going to Paul Hart's. I'm making a violin, did you know." Did it feel it's like a hobby to you? One of those things. Yeah, it felt like a hobby, but it it felt more than a hobby. I I felt like I had almost done it before. It was like just you know, getting to know this craft again type of thing. I mm. didn't, I don't, mm. I, I felt natural. Yeah. That's interesting. It felt, it felt like home. Like it yeah, felt like kind it of felt com- comfortable. I felt comfortable. Yeah. Um, what were you like at that age? Like, were you, were you like a grown up 14 year old? <laughs> no, I definitely was not grown up. I may have been kind of mature cause you know, I mean, I just, I'm just curious I don't know. about that. Like yeah. I know some 14 year olds who yeah. can't even <laughs> begin to think about like, you know, even yeah. if they're in lessons, like I think my students are sometimes different from like piano or violin students because, you know, I'll have students who come like Elise, you know, like your daughter Elise, who who come from musical families where like the family understands like that it's serious and that you practice. But I have a lot of students who just like, you know, watch American Idol. Right. I think just because I teach like pop vocals. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of students who like, if something isn't just like fun right now, there's no way they're doing it. Right. And if it's not like cool right now, there's no way they're doing it. Right. So yeah, I just, I mean, well, that just, I, I'm I just remember, I remember like. thinking when I started violin making that even though it felt comfortable, it was hard. Yeah. And I remember many times um, in the beginning, especially you know, being discouraged, thinking, you know, am I ever going to be able to really do this, you know, do it well. Um, but I also kept asking the question, I remember asking this question thousands of times, um, and I really had to ask it, I think, to get through it. Um, and that question was, would I enjoy this if I were competent? You know, mm. would I really enjoy this if I, if I could create something that, you know, people would value, you know, and would want to have in their home and would want to develop yeah. their talent on. And every time I asked that, it was always yes. Yeah. And so that got me through it. It was just wow. like, you know, I felt like it was, it was, yeah. it was something that, you know, really would be exciting if I, if I could yeah. just get through that learning process and make it my own, you know, make it my part of my, you know, my being. My Yeah. Was that kind of like long-term thinking? Like, uh, what was it that you said? Like, Will I, would I like this if I was competent? Was that kind of thought process modeled for you in your family? That's kind of like a particular um, question, but I don't remember I that. Mean, I just don't think a lot of teenagers think like that. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I I don't remember necessarily that that being stated in the home, but maybe it did, and it just rubbed off. I, I think maybe my question is like, did you see it? Mo- did you see your fa- your parents modeling like? We're working on things like oh, yeah, setting goals for sure. Yeah, stretching themselves. Yeah. So my so my parents, you know, from literally day one of 
life, it seems like, you know, that was, we had to join what my dad called the greatness program. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was the, that was the That's name the that he gave it. the day family program. Yeah. The day family program. So the greatness program, and that started at 5 a.m. And so we all had to get up and whether we liked it or not, if we didn't, you know, we had to practice, you know, the violin and, um, and that was just part of, part of life. So I think so. Yeah, absolutely. As far as that goes, I mean, it was modeled every day. Yeah. I think that's important too. Like, yeah. I think, have you read the book Outliers? Or like, are you no, familiar with it? It's Malcolm Gladwell and he talks about like, you know, kind of these exceptional people, like athletes, you know, tech whizzes, um, and talks about like how, you know, it's easy to look at people like that and think that they are like an outlier. Um, but really like it's this complete like uh, combination of like where they're from, who their parents are, what kind of friends they had, what time of year they're born. Like it's just so I don't know. I I I think that's it's interesting to like look at people wherever they are, whatever they're doing and kind of try to think like how did this how did this happen? Right. Yeah. Um, it is the way that fun. your parents interact with you, I think is so, um, important either way, like in either direction. I mean, talk with a lot of people who had really supportive parents who got into, you know, the, the, the person I'm talking to got into the arts because for at least in part, because their parents were very supportive and always creating and modeling that. And then other people whose parents were like pretty neglect, full um yeah and who got into the arts because it was like the place where they felt kind of connected yeah so i don't know it's interesting there's both both yeah. backstories parents, they just uh they mold their children you know i mean you know parents have a great responsibility and if um you know if they can jump with both feet in and help their children yeah you know learn and grow yeah. it's it's just going to be a great benefit for them it's not that the child can't you know without that it's just yeah. harder much yeah. harder is all. Yeah. I mean, I had my, my experiences, like my parents were not, um, like yours. Uh, and, uh, for me, my teachers were so significant. There you go. Which is why that's yeah. something that I feel like so kind of passionate about in yeah. my adult life. Um, because you know, my teachers were like the significant adults yeah. or the positive adults in my, in my life. So, um, so, you know, you get it, you get it where you get it. Right. But, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you do. Um, okay. I'd love to like connect the dots between like, um, you start making violins and then like, you know, between that and like, you're an adult, like maybe just through the, through the rest of high school. Um, what, what were you doing in addition to making violins? How were you sort of like starting to think like, maybe this will be like my main profession? Yeah. So, so I served a, a mission and, and at that time I was pretty, pretty solidly on board with the idea of violin making, but I also really enjoyed, um, uh, I, I well, I enjoyed two things, computer graphics. I liked, you know, the animation, the, the art, toy yeah. story type of stuff. Cool. And also our, um, to be an architect was one of the, one of the goals I had. Cool. But when I got back from my mission, um, I continued that violin making just to keep the ball rolling and. Um, I was, I was, I was, I was fully, you know, on board with that idea, but, you know, I still kind of in the back of my mind wondered, is this really the right path? And it really, you know, it was just connection with God. I, I prayed, you know, I, yeah. I asked Heavenly Father, you know, am I able to 
really make a living. Like this is a scary idea. Was it, it was mostly Should kind I of really like become a, a violin maker? I mean, there's a lot thing. of architects out there. Yeah. You know, computer graphics or com computer animation. You know, that seems like more of a mainstream, or at least more mainstream than violin making. Um, you know, I thought I'd maybe have a better go of it, but you know, I I was uh, attending an orchestra concert, and and, and that at that particular uh, concert, one of my handmade violins was being played in the orchestra. Oh and wow! As I was playing, I I I I just had the strong impression, like the violin, like almost like it lit up with light. I just saw it as a sign from God that I I ought to really pursue this all all in. You know, yeah. not not dabble in it, but just put all my effort in this in this craft and. You know, it's a it's a big deal, and I'm grateful for that um, kind of confirmation. That kind of confirmation yeah. that that was the right move for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were the things that you were worried about? I mean, money. It was that the main thing you mentioned that before. Well, violin making. You know, it's it's uh, it's hard to get the word out. Yeah, um, that kind of it's like a word of mouth. Yeah, and back then too, there wasn't really the internet. I mean, you know, I started the business in two thousand. Um, and I can't even think was Google, when did Google start? I don't think Google was happening then. Yeah. I don't um, think if it was. it was, it was like, I mean, I remember, so I went in 2000, I was in elementary school still. Um, and, uh, I, I remember like being like 14, 15 and still using like ask Jeeves. On the oh, well, there you go. I mean, yeah. it's possible Google was like starting to be a thing, but I don't know that it was like, it definitely wasn't like the thing. Yeah. But, so back then it was more yeah. like just word of mouth. And I just wondered, yeah. you know, can I really, can I do that? Support a family. How um, is, how is it, how's the market like? I mean, are your clients mostly in Utah? Or no, your we sell are all around? instruments from all over the world. Yeah. So, d d in fact, we have one that's going to Taj Mahal. Amazing. This last <laughs> so, I mean, that I think yeah, last week is it the kind of thing where, like, being in a place like Utah could have like a negative effect because it's like a smaller. No, pool? it's huge. Okay. Utah's a mecca for stringed for, instruments. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. It's like the Cremona of the West. I mean, it's yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, uh, yeah. So, obviously, the majority of our clients reside here in Salt Lake, but we but do. even for other clients, Utah is like a place that yeah, they kind of are aware of. It is. Yeah. Utah is weird. It's like, it's, it's so supportive of some arts, you know, yeah. like, cause like for, for jazz music, like the thing that I do, there's like very little going yes, on here. Not a lot of jazz, but, like but so much choir and classical, so much orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Even like band. I mean, like there's not as much band. Band is not like as big of a thing here as it is in like Texas. Yeah. Um, it's still big. I mean like high school music is big here, yeah. but, um, that's yeah, a big, okay. big part I think of life. maybe I wanted to ask like one more question. So you, you mentioned like computer graphics and architecture, um, like before you left on your mission and for like any listeners who aren't, don't know any LDS people, it's like a, a two year, um, like service outside of your home, um, and it's very much like a rite of passage. So I think like for a lot of young, like LDS boys, especially there's like before your mission, after your mission, like you're yeah. kind of thinking of it, like this is like a thing in your like young adulthood that you yeah. like are planning on. And so like, I think I'm just curious, like before that time, like before your mission, you're thinking about like, you're thinking about a lot of things. And then after it's like, I need to decide, 
Yeah. Does that feel right? Right. Um, so like before you're thinking about all these things, you're thinking about violin <coughs> making, were you thinking about like music performance or <clears throat> music ed? Um, no, not so much performance. So I, like playing the violin. I played like, a lot. You know, I played for a lot of weddings. and. But that um, wasn't something that you ever were really I liked like. it a lot, but I didn't have a real passion, passion for it. So I, I didn't, I never felt like I was going to be, you know, a professional violinist. Okay. And then like, how did you start thinking about like animation and graphic design and architecture? Like, well, I did I'm it just... in high school. I did, I did animation in high school and I loved it. So and you were so, doing kind of like all of those things. And then uh, when you got home, violin making like pulled ahead. It just kind of pulled ahead that, from that you experience. You had that experience. Yeah. And that happened early on, yeah. right after my mission. It was like three months after. Yeah. It was pretty I had an, pretty a quick. similar experience when I was um, in high school. I was like, you know, doing a lot of different things and definitely wasn't thinking about doing music seriously and had like a, a similar thing like that where I was like in a performance um, in this like cathedral uh, with like a, a madrigals group that I was in. And I just had this like, I, it wasn't like a visual, like maybe how you described your experience, but I just had this f- like feeling that was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like this, yeah. this is what I need to be doing. And it, for me, like sometimes I look back on that and, you know, wonder if like I was always going to choose music and kind of like needed to like, I don't know, like give myself like permission or have some kind of a narrative or like I, you know, I sometimes like retrospectively wonder like what else was going on, but I definitely had like a, a strong experience um, that really like motivated me to do, to do something that um, a lot of people were telling me was like risky or it was like kind of off the beaten path. Um, yeah, I definitely sort of felt That's like cool. a like a, a universe a yeah. universe pull. The stars were aligning. Yeah. yeah. I think I think a lot you know, of us and, probably have and I something think people, like that. Yeah, I was going to say I think most people can relate to those experiences. I mean, that's just the way the universe is created. It's so, you know, we, we have these special pulls, these, you know, these feelings that we, you know, where we can know if we're on the right path or not. And I think that was one of the things that, you know, I did learn early on from my parents. And that is that, you know, when you feel that, we call it the spirit, when you feel that spirit direct you in that way, then you need to follow. And um, there's, you know, marvelous things that will happen if you, you know, if you just listen, you got to listen and and then decide to follow those those nudges is what I kind of like to call them. Yeah. And I th- I mean, I think like that kind of a feeling, like it fits into a lot of different like, you know, philosophical frameworks. There's lots of names for that. Yeah. That feeling, that kind of like inspiration or that, that feeling like, oh, like I belong here. Or like right. this is, you know, yeah. kind of checking in with like, you know, um, I don't know. I think I kind of believe there's like multiple right paths for like any person, like depending on kind of what your yeah. circumstances are. But, um, but yeah, like having that kind of like, you know, resonant, like this is good for me. This is right for me. Like yeah. this is going to take me in a direction that, um, is going to have like, you know, is going to yield like positivity, yeah. yield kind of joy in my life. Um, okay. Let's talk about like, um, once you have made the decision to like, you know, go all in with violin making, what was it like, like, you know, transitioning into being like a full-time professional and you can talk about like, you know, more abstract things, like how you 
dealt with it kind of like in terms of confidence, or you can also talk about like building your business. Um, just what, what's, what felt yeah. significant to you and like, you know, maybe those first like five to 10 years. Well, the of- confidence level was, it was hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard to build up your confidence level, I think, in any profession anyway, because, you know, your your confidence typically is tied to, you know, what people think of, you know, your product and if they're going to come and buy and, and you know, want that, want that product. So for me, you know, I, I have a baby face and <laughs> I'm 41 and I still look like I'm 25, maybe. Um, that's why I'm growing a beard. Yeah, your it beard helps. looks great. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, you know, for, you know, for years, people didn't take me very seriously and mm-hmm. that, and that was hard on me for many years, probably 10, 10 years plus. Um, and I would just, you know, have to encourage them to just, you know, check out the instrument, compare it with instruments around and just decide which one they like better. You know, yeah. that's just the bottom line. You got to, you know, the instruments speak for themselves. I don't need to really talk them up or, you know, tell, you know, share too much about them, but, um, but you know, over the years, that it's stuff been is hard. That like rejection fatigue. It is. It's so rejection big. is big. And it and I found too like there's like this there's this like rejection fatigue that I totally get, and I also get like a misunderstood fatigue, like which I think is what you're talking I totally about. Just like that relate to that misread. Yeah. I, it is the worst feeling. Yeah. There's like almost no feeling that I like less than yeah, that. I, I totally how, how does that, that, how do you like deal with it? Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, I, I'm always going to tie it back to spiritual cause that's just my life. But yeah. I, I, I love the idea that, you know, God is the higher power and all that really matters is if I'm doing what he would have me do. So, mm. you know, if, if, if God is, is wanting me to pursue this, then I'm just going to pursue it with all my energy and, you know, I, I'd have to keep reminding myself that it doesn't really matter if they don't like the, you know, whatever it is yeah. that I'm doing, um, as long as I'm trying to, you know, be guided and, and follow, you know, the nudges, as I say, and um, then everything's going to work itself out. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've learned that, um, and it's been a, actually a really good thing to, to just really adhere to. Um, but over the years, um, the confidence, you know, is, is one thing. The next thing is, you know, just getting the word out, you know, that's how you know if, you know, if, if, um, if you really can make a go of any profession, Yeah. you know, if the word is out and people are recommending your, you know, your instruments, that's the, that's the best, you know, uh, stick to, to measure off of. Yeah. And, um, and thankfully we've had a lot of, you know, great supporters over the years, but it's just, you know... Who's One, we? Uh, well, we. I mean, my business now. We've got uh, ten employees now. Can you like tell me kind so, of the story of like how it went from you to a yeah. business? Well, just demand. You know, yeah. I mean, um, people people kept coming in. It was like, okay, I need more help. So, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I remember um, quite a few years ago now, probably like maybe six years. Um, I had a. You know, I had a a, a a client call me up and ask for a handmade violin. And so in my business, I don't just sell my handmade instruments. We sell a lot of entry-level and advanced and professional-level instruments other than my handmaids. So anyway, basically ranging anywhere from like $500 to $20,000, $30,000 on up. 
is kind of what we now do. But um, anyway, so I had this client call me up wanting a handmade violin and I was all alone at the time. And I haven't been, I hadn't been able to, you know, make a violin for quite some time because I had to keep up with the demand with the, you know, Uh, beginner models or the intermediate or merchandising side. Yeah. So, you know, I got on my knees, I prayed and two hours later, a maker calls me up and asks me if he could work for me. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. So, how old were Michael, you when that happened? Um, I, you, you said know, it was that like was six. probably about six or seven years ago. Okay. So, anyway, I was like 34 or Mid-30s. something like that, mid 30s. So, um, yeah, so that happened. Michael's been with me now for at least, you know, six years, I would say. Um, and and that's then your first, like, full time uh, violin yeah. maker cool. that works with me. Yeah. And then, um, and then others, you know, have come on. Um, Stan Hooper, he works with us now. He came on board, I think, about three or so years ago. There's really just three full-time makers, and we have two part-time makers, and then we've got, a f- you know, four salespeople. Yeah. And um, and some office help. So, um, yeah, it's just it's kind of fun to see, you know, the just by word of mouth, things just kind of you know progress. And yeah. Are there any like big like kind of lessons or like, you know, I don't know, like sort of those like light bulb, like arrival points in like that decade between like when you got home from your mission and like decided to be a violin maker to like, you know, when you started having additional like partners and employees. Um, Cause I've, that's like, that's an important yeah. decade. Like yeah, it's a big... you're, you know, late twenties, early thirties. Right. Um, is there anything else you want to tell about like how you dealt with like the struggles that I know were in that decade? (laughs) Like what, I mean, um, what, what were they? And like, how did you deal with it? I'm trying to think. Or like, maybe I'll also ask, I was wondering before, when did you and Kate get married? So I, I met Kate, uh, let's see, 21. I mean, I just got home from my mission. So Months later, yeah, I met her. And then six months after that, we got married. I'm, I'm asking because I think so. when you're having that like rejection fatigue, misunderstood fatigue, all that stuff, having like a person who like uh, really believes in what you're doing can be like a, a really strong kind of mitigating factor in that. Absolutely. In that struggle. So yeah. that's like a, that's like a big kind of asset that you had. Yeah. Um, early on. No, I appreciate that. That's, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. So it really, yeah. Kate, Kate was a huge supporter. I mean, anytime I was down, especially during violin making, um, school, you know, anytime I came down, you know, came in, you know, in the house bummed or whatever, yeah. and she would pick me up and, you know, help me dust off type of thing. Yeah. But, um, I had a lot of supporters. My, my parents, my in-laws were amazing supporters as well. Uh, so, you know, everyone, everyone that I, am close to believed in what I was doing. So that always helped. Um, it was, you know, I had a lot of, I had a lot of, um, in the beginning, you know, professionals that spoke highly of my ha- you know, my, my work. Yeah. Some validation um, from mentors and yeah. Like Joshua Bell, he's a professional yeah. violinist, you know, know he played Joshua a couple Bell. of my violins and he was very, wow. very complimentary. That's great. Yeah. Igor Wait, how but, old were you when that happened? Um, 21, 23. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, that's huge for being so young. Yeah. Yeah. I I think like there's all these pieces, you know, we, all of us that are professional artists or professional creatives, or probably just anyone who's like an entrepreneur of any kind is dealing with these kind of like 
am I good enough? Am I enough? Can I do it? Will anybody want right. it? Will anybody? And like, you know, there's all these pieces. Like you have the, your your support or or maybe some people don't. You have yeah. like your right. your significant other, your parents, your good your close friends. Then there's like, you know, the validation of like people in your profession. Cause like, you know, your spouse can be like your biggest fan, but like that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, your spouse is is a qualified musician yes, as well. So that yeah. means that means more than maybe yeah. some people's situation. But like having both, you know, um and then I think there's probably other things too, like just seeing your business grow, like seeing your product. Like so that's why I'm just I like to talk with people about again, like how you got through those places where like, you know, I think in our business there's a lot of like attrition. Like yeah. there's a lot of people who were like, I actually I can't do this. Yeah. Um so you you went to like a, a school like yeah so the the tree's breath uh, Paul Hart is the is the okay. maker and that's and the name of his school. You started that when you were well, I started like that when teenager. I was fourteen. Got home from my mission and then I went back to the school. And is there like an official like certificate or like a certain there is length? If you yeah, or is it like an apprenticeship? Well, for me, it was it, I I didn't like um, go into it make you know with the mindset of making violas and cellos and so if you're going to get a certificate you would do the whole course and i yeah. just made violins Lu- so luthier. i did never is that the right word luthier, luthier. Yeah, yeah you got it or luthier <laughs> that's what i was going to ask you, know? you actually like <laughs> i was thinking about it this morning like i need to ask adam before we start recording like does he say luthier or luthier <laughs> no i i just say violin maker because most people don't know what luthier or luthier is so but luthier is 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 you know the way an american might say it can i ask in what ways you felt like misunderstood about your profession or or whatever um misunderstood that you know a lot of it has boils down to tone you know when you listen mm. to an instrument what i might feel is wonderful yeah you might not just right? like the subjective nature it's of a subjective all of these things. thing so it's yeah. like any any musician's going to deal with it especially well just any nice. vocalist violinist cellist whatever um yeah you know so what i what i've probably have steered towards is what the majority of what you know the majority of what people like so more of a rich warm tone on mm. a violin not as bright um, so I, I, I don't mind bright, um, you know, bright instruments, but my, my, my personal, pre- you know, preference certainly is more in that darker, rich, um, you know, bell tones, um, is, is, is what I like. So, you know, so sometimes you'll get a customer looking for, you know, a bright sounding instrument. And yeah. so that would be kind of a, it's not, it may be misunderstood as the wrong word or whatever, but. Um, so I just but, wanted to but certainly, ask you about that. you know, there's that subjective yeah. you know, nature to it. And so, and it's not, no one's right or wrong. Yeah. It's just, it's what you like. So, yeah. so because of that, I have had to branch off, you know, I've mm-hmm. had to look for instruments, you know, maybe not the ones that I build, the ones that I build, I'm going to probably build them to my liking, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the ones that I buy. And so I buy a lot of instruments from, you know, from various places in the world and, and um, in these instruments, we do the finish work on them. We carve bridges, sound posts. Um, if there's, you know, crack repairs that's, that are needed, if it's an old instrument, we'll do that and so on. But um, so I'm trying to broaden my base, you know, yeah. have kind of something for everybody, yeah. you know, so that's helped me actually. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk now about um, like art and craft. So I'll ask you first, because I feel like 
you know, I can see you identifying either way, like as an artist or like as a craftsman. Uh, how, which, what do you feel? Both. Both. <laughs> That's a uh, hard question can, to answer. Do you want to talk about like what those things mean to you? Yeah. So I love art. Art is a big deal. Um, visual art. Um, I don't do a ton of it, but I, I have done, you know, enough of it throughout my life to know that it's, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a, you know, big part of my life. Um, especially when I look on, you know, people's walls in their homes, it's, it, it tells a lot about some, you know, people mm. and what they value. Uh, so for me, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I, you know, I carve pumpkins, you know, yeah. at, at, uh, you know, during the Halloween season and I go crazy with it and it's, it, it's a, it's, I, I spend way too many hours doing that, but it's fun. It's, it's, you know, Didn't I take my violin like, making knives and I, I do, use that to, <laughs> to create little, it. yeah, it's fun. And you're, I mean, yeah, you're doing a lot. Like, didn't, didn't you also do like a lot of your own like landscape architecture? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we, we're I neighbors, helped design so. it. So yeah. I, did. I, I walked my dog by your, by your front yard, like every day that you were yeah, working, on, working your, on that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's creative too. And I think that's also art, yeah, you know, like, it is. but it is like, sometimes it is a fine line between like art and craft. I don't know that I really I care, know. but some people do, which is why I like to ask. Um, so yeah, I mean, do you, is there anything you want to just like philosophize about or like, you know, ha you have a, you have a platform here to say whatever, <laughs> um, about art or about why it matters or like, you know, where do you think it comes from? Where well, do you think creativity, like, what do you think? I mean, as far as music, I'll probably go there. Um, cause that's more of my, that's my, I guess my greatest passion. You know, I feel like music is an extension of your soul. Yeah. Um, quite literally when I, when I, talk, you know, like in this microphone, I feel very limited. Um, I, I don't feel like I can communicate mm. like I really want to. Um, I'm, I feel like I, you know, even though I know the ling English language, you know, I mean, I, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not a professional speaker. Right. Yeah. But with music for me anyway, it's something that I've really developed a lot of, you know, in, and, and I feel like I can kind of get lost in my, in my uh, approach or in my yeah. desire to communicate. So, you know, if I am playing for a big group of, you know, people, um, I like to be able to, um, you know, just kind of, I don't know, tap into the spiritual and just, uh, you know, allow, allow everything, everything that I've learned to just kind of come to that, you know, to the, to the bow and the strings and, yeah. you know, and I think you can do that with, with any, any, Medium, medium, yeah, you know, what, so whatever that is, you know, in art, certainly or literature, music or certainly literature, visual art, all, yeah. all of that. Does it feel to you like I feel that? alive when I'm doing that? Yeah, I feel more connected, yeah, to what matters most yeah. than at any other time. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. Like when you're doing your kind of whatever it is that your medium is, you're tapping into some kind of some heightened state. Um, that either like makes you feel like more connected to other people or more connected to like your purpose, you know, maybe something kind of more abstract or more connected to like, you know, your, your spirituality or like, you know, you're a deity. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really like, it's, it's a big pull for a lot of people. Or like you said before, like just being, I, I totally agree with you. Like the art that you do is like, it's an extension of yourself and like, you know, your, your, 
yeah, uh, your core, your soul, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's a, a great relief to be able to kind of like do that, you know, have that expression in a way that like, it's not that easy, maybe like face to face or voice to voice. Yeah. Um, so that's a great transition into like the last thing I like to talk about, which is, you know, the, the podcast is called artifice because I'm fascinated by exactly this, like the ways in which like the art that we make and the art that we participate in is ourself, isn't ourself, the way that we use it as like, you know, a, a mask or a filter, the way that like, you know, communicating through that art allows us to, you know, tell things that we can't tell in yeah. words. Um, you know, kind of the way that like the art that we make interacts with like our identity. So um I can I can ask specific questions or like I know I just said a lot of things. Do you have any like directions you want to go just right off the bat or do you you want me to be more specific maybe be specific (laughs) yeah okay so maybe like the first thing is like uh okay so you already kind of mentioned that like art art the art that you do allows you to express in a different way so maybe i maybe like i don't know do you feel like that's um like i mean what do you think about that or like can you be more specific about or like elaborate on like what that means for you You'll have to ask that again. Like, just what does it mean to, like... To uh, make violins or to draw or... Well, just specifically what you said about, like, being able to express something that you can't... That's limited in your speech. Sorry, there's this uh, alarm going off out here. it's very distracting. There's, like, like, there's a car alarm. I keep keep hearing this alarm going off and I cannot think of... Anyway, sorry, I'm very distracted. Well, no, that's... Um, Yeah, so, like, if if you feel limited in, like, your you know, just in speech, like how is it, or like, what is it that you feel like art? Do you, I mean, do you feel like it like gives you sort of like a proxy of like, you can step into this and like, yeah, I mean, I be someone who can. So, so just recently, fairly recently, I had a very dear friend that passed away and his family asked me if I would um, come and just Played. This was right before he passed away. Um, just you know, come to the hospital and play for him. And I remember thinking when I went up to him and just said a few words that I felt limited of how much I loved this mm. friend. Mm. You know, I love you. Those are powerful words. But then when you play a, 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 yeah. a piece, in this case, for on you know, for for me, I played a few pieces for him on the violin, I, I felt like I could show him better. Yeah. How much I appreciated his his example in my life. Um, you know, he was he was a great, you know, mentor and uh I I just really just you know just love this man. He was amazing. So, you know, you can't it's 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 almost impossible to really yeah. put into words, you know, why, why it is that, you know, this is so important, but I've had so many experiences with music that, you know, like you say, you tap into that deity or tap into that spiritual power, um, that it's, it's undeniable that music is done in heaven. I'm just certain of it. Um, I think that in the next life, we're going to see how, how much more important music is, um, than maybe we realize. Mm. I think music is a big, big part of communication, um, I don't think that you can, you know, uh, communicate 
the way that uh, you know one would hope with with words. Um, I think that there are communicators out there, you know, like C.S. Lewis or you know J.R. Tolkien or some of these yeah, amazing someone who's a wordsmith, you know, wordsmith. Yeah. But even then, when I read these books, I mean, I do feel connected, like yeah, an unbelievable connection. But man, when it comes to music, some of the best music out there. It trumps any yeah. words for me. Well, do you think that, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, is the key word in that sentence, like, for me? Like, do you think there's, like, yeah, people that communicate in music? And so I think maybe... I kind of think so. I think yeah. that some people, because I, you know, it's like, I get, I get uh, you know, people come into the shop all the time looking for instruments. And it's funny, but some people truly cannot hear the difference in quality of tone. Yeah. You know, I'll play a $500 violin and I'll play a $5,000 violin and a $10,000 violin. Yeah. And sometimes and they, they actually can't tell. They cannot tell. Majority people can tell. Yeah. I mm-hmm. would say 80, 90%. People can usually tell. So, yeah. I don't know. I think that sometimes the mediums are... The medium matters. Matters. Um, I think you maybe already sort of talked about this, but like when you're having this, like, I I can't have a full expression without music. Do you feel like that is just like across the bar, like a limitation in English? Like it's, is it like an actual language thing or do you feel like it also, or, you know, it is related to like social conventions? Hmm. Like, do you feel like music kind of like gives you permission to express something that like maybe you could express verbally, but like it would be. Wouldn't that be awesome? Weird. I, I think that would be great if you could. I just, I don't know. I just think that you need it. <laughs> I yeah. think it's really a big... Well, I, I like to ask because I think sometimes like it's a it's a permission thing. Yeah, like, I think but, so. Like art, it like it's removed enough from like You know, there's like, the right social... brain, left brain yeah. aspect of life. I think those who are, you know, more of the musical mind versus more, maybe more the mathematic, you know, I think we're going to get maybe more out of yeah. maybe that experience than maybe a mathematician yeah. would. I don't know. Well... I'm I'm more right brain, so for me, I connect you know more on that yeah. basis. And I you know so many times where even if I'm not playing, I'm just at a concert. You know, if if those performers, if the prof- if especially if you know if they've you know really have done their homework, you know, if they're performing at a super high level, yeah, you know, it can stir you to tears, right? Yeah. And I think people relate to that. I think most people can say, you know, I've been in, a, in that concert, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. where. I am truly touched yeah. and I, and, and, and you can't record it. Right. You can't bottle that. It's right. like, you got to be there live, see that expression because it's like a human, because, human thing. Yeah. I think but you're sorry, right. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, I, I, it, it gets lost in translation through a recording. Oh Yeah. I think it's because like you have to be in the room. Like it's, it's a communion. Like it, that, is. it feels like that to me, even like, you know, I mean, I think, I think we're fairly comfortable in our, in our like Western culture talking about like classical music in that way. Um, where it's kind of like this heightened experience, but like, you know, I sing in like a party band at like weddings and like, I feel that there too. Yeah. It's different. It's not like but a it, reverence, but it's no, certainly it's a different, like a, it's the same thing it's, though. It's bonding. It's yeah. Like, because yeah, well you're expressing something that's like exciting. Like yeah. it's, you know, it's different than maybe reverent, right? Yeah. You're, it's I'm, like, I, we're facilitating that like joy. joy. Oh, that's what I was going to say too. Um, Here's like just another thought. 
I find that a lot of musicians in particular, because so, you know, I talk to artists who are performing artists and artists who are, you know, who do poetry or visual art. But for people who are performing artists, I don't know, maybe actually it applies across the board, but they might be like very shy, very soft spoken. And then they get up to perform and are like big and loud. Yeah. And that's why I wonder if like sometimes the art Permission. is like... Yeah, it's that permission thing where it's like something about the context like gives you permission to express like a part of yourself that maybe it's less about the music and it's more like kind of wrapped up in like social conventions where it's like, you know, like, for example, I, I know a lot of I, I find as a teacher of voice that there are some like gender differences with this particular thing in volume in specific. So like I think a lot of women feel like their personality and their like how they like to talk to people is very like quiet. And then when they're on stage, they can be like loud, like right. just in sheer decibels. Yeah. Um, and mm. I think for sometimes for, for the people that I know that are like that, it's like, um, it's an identity thing. It's like, they see themselves as quiet. They, they, they perceive themselves as like gentle, calm, but they have like this thing, they have this big thing that they need to be like on a stage and in front of a microphone in order to like yeah. connect with it all. Does yeah. it, does any of that feel like, do you feel like you have like an, an analog No, I can totally see that. I, I think that that's in a sense how I, you know, view my profession in a way. I mean, there's only so much you can say, but then when you put a violin in the hands of a customer, you know, that, that shows them more of your identity of, you know, of, of, of what you believe in or of, of what you're capable of, you know, and that's an exciting thing. It's like, yeah. you know, you're kind of coming into your own. I remember as a missionary, I d couldn't bring my violin. Yeah. You know, my mission president said, don't. But then when I got there, I asked him if I could get a violin because I literally thought I lost my identity. Like yeah. it was weird not yeah, to have yeah, my yeah. violin was like a big problem for me. Yeah. And so when I got there and I told him, you know, I'm not like just learning the instrument. Like the violin has been like a part of me for yeah. since birth, basically. Yeah. So it's it's the way I communicate, and I think I could, I think it could help me, you know, yeah. in the cause of of the mission. And so, and uh, the moment I got it. It was like I was a different missionary. I was able to, you know, use it in, in so many different ways. You know, I tracked it with it. I was able to get into homes that I probably wouldn't normally get into. Um, you feel played like at a lot of funerals and different things. And, and I just, and now I felt like I could then now communicate full, more fully, you it know. It gives you like, it emboldens you. Yeah, it does. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I love that. Um I think maybe the only other thing I'm curious about, and like, unless there's something else you want to talk about is, um, do you ever have, like, how do you experience this kind of like who I am versus what I do in terms of like how you interact with just like the public? Like when you say like, I'm a violin maker, like, do you have any sort of like feelings or experiences, you know, common experiences that you deal with, with like trying to explain who you are. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, 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 I'm proud of being a violin maker. It's unique. It's yeah. different. You know, I mean, I think that's kind of fun. I mean, what do people say yeah. when you tell them? Like, it's, surely they're like, what? Yeah, exactly. It's always, it's always fun to explain myself, you know, because yeah. <laughs> it's different and, you know, it's just not the norm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, 
I think I think our identity is is tied to our experience. And so for me, you know, being a maker and having developed myself in that way, you know, at a high level, um, it's it's empowering. You know, it it really is. It's exciting. I think everybody should feel that excitement in their yeah. in their life in some way. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. You know, you, you know, you want to pursue it with with excellence in mind. You know, I, I um, so for example. I haven't been able to make as many instruments um, as I would like because my business kind of, well, f- for financial reasons, uh, reasons I had to get into the you know the intermediate, advanced, and beginner level instruments back in two thousand seven, and um, so because of that, I felt like my identity changed in a way because now I'm not making as actively. I'm now I'm now. You know, I'm I'm buying instruments, but I'm souping them up. I'm carving bridges and mm. sound posts and planing fingerboards and all of that kind of stuff on these instruments. But what's been interesting is through the years, I've noticed when I'm selling these instruments that um, I'm probably going off of the the train of thought here, but I think oh, it's okay. important. Go for um, it. Kids that are just learning, just starting, um, they're just as excited about their less expensive instrument mm. as a professional is. Mm. Yeah. The same. Yeah. It doesn't even make any difference. It's interesting. Like the kids or teenagers or adults that are starting from, you know, scratch, um, they come in looking for a quality instrument and they're giddy, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going to want to know all about that instrument. Yeah. Well, the same is true with my, with my handmaids. So I had to change my mindset from, Mm. you know, my handmade instruments is more of my identity, who I am. I'm a violin maker. It's what I do to... I'm someone that's supplying instruments, whether it's my handmaids or yeah. others, um, and and that's important. Yeah, you're facilitating that relationship yeah. between like the person and their instrument. Yeah, and it's huge. a big deal because these kids now. I mean, if I can soup these instruments up because of the way, so and this is maybe relevant here um, because of this kind of change in our business model. Um, I've had to figure out ways how you know basically how to soup these instruments up, make them sound better. So you know, through prayer and through meditation, all that, I've, I've, I've felt guided to carve bridges differently and carve sound posts differently and do, do things that are just different than the norm out there. I do a string analysis on violins where I go through a variety of different brands of strings that make up that combination mm. set mm. to soup it up, to make yeah. it better. And I've been able to get 30 to 50% more out of each wow. instrument. So that means that even the student level, advanced, yeah. professional level, instruments, you know, can truly be an exciting experience yeah, you're customizing for, for anybody. So that's great. Yeah. Um, what, if anything in your, you know, day-to-day kind of professional life, um, still feels vulnerable to you? Um, I think living life is always, <laughs> you always feel vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> Every day is so different. So like right now we just opened up a new shop, um, it's, you know, a long time in coming, you know, yeah. I started the business in 2000 and, and, um, we're, we're just this week as of Monday, you know, we're now in this new beautiful shop. It's taken, you know, 20 years basically to build and, um, you know, it's a long time in coming, but you know, there's always that vulnerability of, you know, am I going to be able to keep up with the demand? So, you know, like right now I'm actively seeking for a good, another good full-time maker, maybe even two. Mm. So this could be a plug out there for that. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're always just trying to, you know, keep up with, 
you know, with what people need. So that's, that's probably my biggest vulnerability right now is just, I want the quality high. I got to keep the quality where it's been all these years. I can't start shirking, you know, in that responsibility. Um, but the manpower, that's a big deal. I like to ask that question because, you know, just like with so many of these things that when you, when, when people, the public or young people, you know, our peers and also young people, I think when they look sometimes at like those of us that are in these kind of like mysterious creative professions that, you know, people don't understand, they're not, they're not represented in any sort of realistic way in like the media, you know, it's it's confusing. So, um, you know, I think it's easy to be like, well, that person does that because they're great at it. Like that person's just undeniable and that's why they can do it. And they're so talented. Right. And people, um, they don't, (laughs) they don't want to think about, or, or maybe they just, no one's giving them like the kind of these stories of like, what are the things that were difficult? How, cause I think the more interesting question is like, I know that everybody's dealing with stuff that's really scary and really hard in these professions that we're in. And the more interesting story is like, how are you doing it? Yeah. How are you like belief that you can do it? How are you dealing with that rejection fatigue? How are you dealing with that? Like, you know, um, always, you know, that, uh, being able to kind of always come up with new inspiration. Yeah. So I I think it's, I think it's important, you know, I'm, I'm invested in art as well. I'm invested in creativity. I think, humans have a lot of potential and I'd, I'd love to see everyone like contributing as much as they can. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, if we can tell our stories of how we kind of like keep plugging away, uh, it's, I don't know, it feels important to me. So is there anything else that you want to say about art, about, you know, any advice that you have? Yeah. I'll just maybe share this last experience and that kind of will maybe tie into that, you know, that comment you just made. Um, so when I was first making my first instrument, I was plugging away, carving the inside of the, uh, of the violin out on the top, on the top plate. And as I was carving, I, uh, basically with a chisel, you know, I took a nice big, uh, gouge out of the top and I measured with a caliper how thick my strength was. So it, 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 it basically tells me, you know, how, how much wood I can take out without going all the way through is basically what I'm trying to say. And so I decided, okay, well, I can, I can spend at least, you know, uh, I can do maybe three or four uh, big gouges here on, uh, you know, in this area without, without hurting my instrument. Well, I messed up. I went right through the top. I put mm-hmm. a hole through it and oh, no. I was, I was devastated. Um, and, and I remember, um, you know, crying. I had spent already a year on this instrument. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I remember going home, coming back and, uh, my teacher, um, Paul Hart, uh, fixed it for me. Wow. He, 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 he put it back together. And, and I just think that, uh, you know, there's always a way to fix a problem. Mm. You know, even though I put a hole through the top, um, he was able to, you know, restore it to the point where it, I don't think it affected the tone of that instrument at all. Um, yes, there's a scar. Yeah. And I think that's significant. I actually like scars. I think scars tell a story of, of, you know, of how we maybe overcame something. Um, so, you know, I, and then to tie that story into another one, just real quick, um, on my second violin, I was carving away and, and one of the pieces of, uh, of, 
um, basically, I, I took off the edge of an instrument, okay, on, on, on the top, mm. and and it fell in this big pile of chips, and I couldn't find it, and oh, I wanted, wow. and I needed that piece so I could glue it back to fix it, right, yeah. to restore it, and I couldn't find it, and it was like probably half an hour before I realized that I never asked for help. Yeah. I asked Heavenly Father right there, I know you know where this piece is, could you please point it out to mm. me? The very first piece I picked up was the piece. Wow. And it went right back together. So those two stories taught me huge lessons yeah. about life. There yeah. is there is someone, there's a higher power that's there to help you and guide you. Um, there's a master, and in my case, it was my teacher, yeah. that can restore yeah. and make things whole. And then there's always the go-to. You know, If you feel down and out um, and don't know the way, then you've you you can't rely on yourself. You've got to look yeah. elsewhere. I think that's and sometimes so that's wise. going to be through a person. Yeah, sure. And sometimes that's going to be through inspiration from God. And, sometimes and it's, it's even just like a, like thinking out of the box. Like just what are my other options? Yeah. Like what are the possibilities? Having that kind of like resilience of like your kind of your spirit, your like uh, the resilience of your confidence. Uh, yeah. the resilience of like your resourcefulness, like whatever those resources are for you. Um, yeah. And kind of like that humility to just like ask the question, yeah. like, what am I forgetting? What am I missing? Right. Sorry. Did I interrupt you? No, no, you're, you're I, I agree. That's yeah. awesome. I, I, th- I think that that's, that's a topic that comes up in almost every conversation I have. Yeah. You know, people just like remembering like, yeah, you absolutely will not like, succeed every time you absolutely yeah. will have like brand new terrifying problems yeah all the time you're just gonna have them yeah you but you get you can get better at kind of like stopping and thinking like what are my options what are my resources how can i think about this problem creatively um who can i go to for help what can i use for help um and that i think that is like a great lesson of like how we keep doing this creative work that is so vulnerable and so can be like very isolating and can be very misunderstood and, you know, is risky. Um, but yeah, that's, and that's what's about like, right. Like having those kind of like those branches of creativity, reaching out to other people. Um, yeah, that's kind of like, it's full circle. Yeah. You, you need to have those skills in order to do the thing and then doing the thing like, gives you that kind of connection again. Okay. I always ask everybody at the very end, what's your dream project or your dream collaboration? Maybe it's happening for you right now with your new shop. um, Actually it's happening. Yeah. This is, it's, we're, 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 we're just seeing this. So my, my dream is to have, you know, four or five makers all working at the same time. You know, we're, we're, you know, just busy doing what we love which is, you know, it's starting to come to pass with this shop. Uh, up till now, we've been in my garage, you know, working. There's been three to four makers in there, and and we're all bumping elbows, and it's just been a, a hard. <laughs> it's been very. Uh, it's been a difficult work environment. But yeah. now we've got a lot of space, you know. So we're just starting to live this dream, and it's been marvelous. But yeah, there's is always the- there's always more, you know, more to come. I I'd love to be a violin shop that um, actively is making every day. Um, and you know, uh, 
in order to get there, you know, we just need, we need more help. We need more, uh, you know, skilled luthiers in there. And I think we can get there. Is there like a, a person that you would love to have play one of your violins or like a place like, I mean, you're already having one in the Taj Mahal and Joshua Bell played one. Yeah. So, but is well, there, is there any like pie um, in the sky? I mean, the, pia- the piano guys, they, they, you know, they, uh, Stephen Sharp Nelson buys cellos from us. And, and, and that particular one that I was mentioning is in the Taj Mahal. That, that's just, that's one that we uh, just sold him a, a few weeks ago. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, there's many players out there that I admire. Hilary yeah. Hahn or, you know, um, as far as cellos go, Yo-Yo Ma is amazing. Yeah. I would love to someday build a cello that he could play on. Um, I Yeah, there's always pipe dreams like that. Yeah. And someday, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. Like, right, yeah. we're always kind of like, we're always thinking ahead. Okay, and then uh, where can we find your work on the internet? AdamDayViolins.com. Great. Yep. Okay, <laughs> thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our music is by Jerem Hansen and artwork by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.